Good morning. It's fun having our, uh, we've got some guests here today. It was our Faith in Blue week. and We've got a few Oklahoma City police officers here. It's nice having you all, you know, welcome. Uh, the last time there were this many uh, uniformed officers at Northwest, it was about 11 o'clock p.m. after the youth group had just gotten back from a long trip. And some of you have heard this story. And we had, at the time, a youth minister that had a big, shaggy beard and real seedy-looking character. And he he'd sent the kids home, and before he went home for the night, he was over here cleaning out the van. And I just want to thank you police officers for watching out for that guy, because you guys grabbed him and threw him up against the van and said, Who are you and what are you doing? He says, I work here. And they said, Yeah, right. And he finally unlocked the door, and they went, Oh, maybe. Okay, so... Um, but I just love that story, and I look for any opportunity to tell it, and so thank you for all coming so I can remember the day that Ryan was accosted. Uh, it couldn't have happened to a better guy. <laughs> I hope he's watching this later. Last week, we talked about how people are so often interested in imagining what Jesus would have looked like. What did Jesus look like? What is his face? And uh, recently, a number of occasions... Uh, People have asked AI image generators to imagine what Jesus looked like. And, and you get all kinds of different images. We had one last week where they took the Shroud of Turin and they ran it through AI to say, hey, if this is the reverse image of Jesus, a negative photograph, uh, what does he look like? And, and every time one of those stories comes out, it gets millions and millions of views because people want to know what did Jesus look like. Uh, they want to know because of what he looked like in the past, but there's also, I think, this longing to know what we're going to see someday in the future, uh, what we'll, when we get to where he is and see what he sees. And it's a question that goes, has echoes all through Scripture. Moses, on one occasion, says, God, just show me your glory. And Moses and God had this famously close and intimate relationship. And he says, God, show me your glory. And God says, you can't handle my glory. If you looked at my face, it would literally kill you. But I'll put you in a rock, and I'll put my hand over you, and I'll pass by, and you can see my back, and that much gl my glory you can see and not die. And so he, he gives them that promise. And on another occasion, we talked last week about how Elijah is in the cave, and he's worn out from his ministry, his prophetic work that he's been doing, and he's exhausted, and he just wants to quit all of it. And God is going to pass by him in the cave. And a fire comes by, and a tornado comes by, and an earthquake comes by, and, and God's not in any of those things. But at the last moment, there's this whisper where God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And in the whisper, Elijah steps out, but he doesn't step out into comfort. He steps out and he covers his face because he's overwhelmed by the prospect of looking at the glory of God's face. And so he has so much awe and reverence, he knows that he can't look upon God's glory. And so he covers his face when he exits the cave. On another occasion, Moses was receiving the law from the Lord. And this was over a long season of time. And he would go into a tent where the presence of God was. And in the tent where God's presence was, they would write down the law that we have in Scripture today that Israel would follow and that we now have in the earliest books of the Old Testament. And on the occasions that Moses would be in the tent with God's presence, he would come out and just the echo of the reflection of God's glory would make Moses' face shine and producing its, its own light. Not like when I back into the projector with a, a good haircut, not, not that kind of shining. He's shining like a light bulb 
to where the people say, listen, we need you to put a veil over your face because the glory of God that is echoed in your face is too much for us to look at. So he would wear a veil because the people couldn't handle just the echo of God's glory reflected on Moses' face. And so last week we looked at Philip, who is one of Jesus' apostles, and Philip asked Jesus, he would have had these stories in mind when he asked Jesus. He says, listen, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And you get the idea that he's kind of thinking, maybe we can get what Moses got. Maybe we can hear what Elijah heard. Maybe we'll need veils after Jesus lets us see the glory of the Father. But Jesus' answer is incredible. He doesn't even touch the question that Philip was asking about the history of looking at God's glory. What he says is this, don't you know me, Philip? Don't you know me? Jesus says, even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? And then last week we talked about how because that is true, those who were followers of Jesus see God's glory in the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus did. Jesus reveals the Father to all of those uh, who saw him, especially those who traveled with him and learned from them, the apostles and the disciples. But then shortly after this, it's about a chapter later in our Bibles, Jesus is telling them, uh, he says, listen, here's the other thing you need to know. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father because the Father is in me. But when I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to send one, an advocate. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And not only will you be able to see the Spirit, but it will live inside of you. It will dwell in you. So we've come such a long ways from the days where we can't even look upon Moses's, Moses can't even look upon God's glory to now God is going to live in us. How does that happen? Jesus says, listen, it happens because I'm, the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. And after I go, the Spirit will be in you so that you'll be united with me and the Father. We will be one. And out of this is where we're going today. Uh, we're going to, to look at how this is very real. This is very real that the world can now see the works of Jesus in the works that we, his people, do today. Jesus tells him, once the Spirit arrives, you're going to do even more incredible things than you've seen me do. And I've said this before, that that if we really believe that, I think most of us would say that we believe that the world would be a better place if Jesus would come back and live in it and rule over it today. But what Jesus says is that we have more ability to rule over and lead the world today because of the Spirit in us than he did even while he was here. That's an incredible thing. And if we take Jesus at his word, that means we've got some uh, transformation work to do in ourselves so that we can do the transforming work in the world that Jesus is calling us to do. Christianity is not just a sit and think about it kind of faith. It's a faith that changes us while we change the world. So how does that work? How do we become changed into the image of Jesus? How do we start to look like him? Well, the first thing that you need to know is that one of the ways God made every single one of us is he created us in a way that you become like what you worship. You become like what you worship. 
And so if you worship money, you're going to get consumed by greed. If you worship uh, clothing, you'll never be beautiful enough or have enough clothing. And if you worship Jesus Christ, you're going to start to change into being like Jesus. What you worship is what you become like. So in Psalm 135, the psalmist is writing and he says, Listen, the idols of the nations are silver and gold. They're made by human hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Nor is there breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. And so here's the first choice that you have to make. You can choose to worship created things that will perish in eternity. And you will become like them. If you worship gold and silver, if you worship clothing, if you worship wealth, if you worship your own prosperity, if you worship your own desires, you will become consumed by them and you will become like them. But there's another choice. And the other choice is what we read about when Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. And he says this, he says, And we all who with unveiled faces, and we all is, is those who are, are believers in Jesus, followers in Jesus. We all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So you can worship created things and you can be destroyed just like they will. Or you can worship the creator and you begin to become like the creator. Why? Through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord, and by the power of the Spirit coming into you and changing you from the inside out. How does it work? We become like what we love and who we love. And we also become like what we dwell on. And dwelling is in its own way a form of worship. Uh, but this is important. If you spend all of your time around uh, angry people listening to angry words, you're going to get angry. Uh, anger is one of the most contagious emotions. They actually have studies that measure uh, emotions and how they spread among people. Uh, they are contagious. If you're around happy people, you will get happier. If you're around angry people, you'll get angrier. If you're around fearful people, you'll get fearful. If you're around uh, courageous people, that will, their courage will literally begin to rub off on you. And so it works that you become like what you dwell on. So in Philippians 4, Paul's writing and he says, Listen, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. He's like, listen, when you see goodness, when you see purity in the world, when you see love in the world, dwell on it, receive it, consume it, let it become contagiously affecting you. Like, like don't, don't just reject it. Don't be like, ah, that's neat, that's fun, but I'm going to come over here to the more dramatic stuff. You have to intentionally focus on the good stuff in life. And the gift that you receive at the end of this passage is that you receive the peace of God. God's peace will dwell with you if you'll focus on His good things in the world. 
On the other hand, Jesus warns in the Sermon on the Mount. If, he says, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? He doesn't give the answer there, but you're all supposed to say, no. No, no I cannot add an hour to my life. Um, but some of us think, but what if I worry real hard? What if I worry for like a lot of hours? Will that add a few more hours? The answer is no. You can try, and you'll lose a lot of quality hours in your life due to the effort, but you can't add the time. Worry is a, a spiritual symptom of a lack of faith. What it means is that I believe I'm in control of my life more than God is, or maybe he's in control, but I don't trust him to drive, and so I'm going to take the wheel back. Worry and fear and anxiety are the, the, the problems of this world, and if you dwell on them, you will become consumed by them. So when you go get coffee with a friend and they say, how are you doing right now? If the first thoughts out of your mouth are worry and fear and anxiety and depression, it's because you have surrounded yourself by those things and you've been dwelling on them and they've begun to shape you into their image. But if we instead focus on Jesus Christ, if we instead focus on his word, on serving him and other people, if we instead look out and not into ourselves so that we see other people that we can bless and we share our blessings with them and focus on others doing those things, you begin to get changed. You will, you will be transformed in ever-increasing ways. Is that what it says in 2 Corinthians 3? In ever-increasing glory. And so Moses had this, this dynamic where he goes into the presence of God and he comes out and his face is glowing with the echo of the glory of God. And, and what Jesus and Paul and others are teaching us is, listen, if you dwell on and worship the wrong stuff, you're going to get transformed to look like the wrong stuff. You'll become like what you worship and what you dwell on. But if you focus on Christ, if you dwell with Christ, if you dwell and worship Jesus, you will become transformed to look like Jesus. And by being in his presence in that way, you're going to start glowing in visible ways. Now, do I mean you're going to glow, but will it be as visible to others as if you were? Jesus seems to think it is. Jesus seems to think that if we will spend time worshiping him and in the spirit, that we will grow in ever-increasing glory and that we'll do greater things than he did. How does that work? So we're going to get a little bit more into 2 Corinthians 3 to better understand how, how Paul thinks this is going to work. And for me, the best way to do this is to read 2 Corinthians 3 backwards. So we start with verse 18, that how we're going to be coming in ever-increasing glory. That's the destination, but how did we get there? How did we get there? What we see is, uh, and starting in verse 12, is that he's going to build this uh, strategy, this case, that we're going to reveal God's glory because the Spirit's doing work in us. Here's what Paul writes. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. 
We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. If it has not, it has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He says, listen, you know the story about Moses and the echo of the reflection of God's glory that the people were just overwhelmed by, and they said, you've got to wear a veil. He said, here's the thing you need to know. That veil still exists between Moses' teaching and, and the people today. The glory that's in the teaching, there's still a veil. They can't get it all. But here's what you need to know. If Jesus is in your life and in your heart, then you receive the Spirit and the veil is torn away. And this works in two ways for Paul here. The first way is this, that veil between God's Word and your mind, body, soul, heart, and spirit is removed. And you can see the truth of it. And the truth of it is Jesus Christ himself. And when that veil is removed and you see that Moses' words point to Jesus, what happens is you receive the Spirit in you. And then the veil that covered Moses' shiny face is not on you anymore. What does that mean? Look out, world. The glory of God is written on our faces. That you want to know what Jesus looks like? Don't go to an AI machine. Don't go to some website. Don't go to some artist. Here's what the, the face of Jesus looks like today. It's the faces sitting here right now looking back at me. That because you have the Spirit, the veil is removed and the world can see the glory of the Father who lived in the Son and reveals Him to His followers and who sends the Spirit into us so that we reveal God's glory to a world that desperately wants to know what Jesus looks like. It's an incredible teaching that Paul has, and he's taking all of these stories about what God looks like and who can see Him and he's weaving them together. And so you remember Jesus' teaching in John 14. If you've seen him, you've seen the Father. Today the world can see God's glory because of the Spirit's work in us. But what does it look like? What does the world see when they see us? Let's keep reading 2 Corinthians 3 backwards. Now going to the very beginning, verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? This is Paul and his other co-authors. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Paul's writing to the church in, in Corinth, and some in the church in Corinth have started to question Paul and his ministry and his credibility, and there's other ministers that have come in and taught things different than Paul. Uh, some of them apparently had really good letters of recommendation. And so Paul says... Listen, do you need my letters of recommendation? You want me to go find someone who can send you a letter talking about all the things Paul's done in his ministry, all the things that Paul uh, is, that makes him worthy of being trusted? 
He says, listen, I'm not going to send you letters of recommendation. You are my letter of recommendation. When I preach to you the gospel and the good news, and you receive that, and the Spirit of Jesus came to you, and you start revealing the glory of God to the world, that's my letter of recommendation. And it's written not on parchment. It's written on your heart by the Spirit. So the things you're doing by the power of the Spirit working in you are the church's letter of recommendation. And so if you think about Northwest, and maybe if we were thinking about it in today's terms, uh, what are the Google reviews for Northwest Church of Christ? What are the Yelp reviews for Northwest Church of Christ? And you can't go look at them. Uh, one of our, my favorite review that we have as a church, uh, I think is, I don't remember how many stars it is, but it's, it's something like, went there to vote, not that great of an experience, one star. So we're not a very good ballot place, and we got knocked for that. But you can go look at our reviews. It's kind of interesting. See how we're doing. But if you were to ask the question, how do, what is our, do you read our Google reviews for Northwest Church of Christ? What Paul would say is the real reviews for Northwest are the lives of its people. The real letters of recommendation for the kingdom of God in the world that we live in today is our lives lived in the world in such a way that reveals what God's up to. And so what do the letters of recommendation for Northwest Church of Christ look like? It's going to look sometimes like our primetimers ministry. A ministry where some of our, our senior members who have a little more free time in their life, they get together and they go on really fun field trips around Oklahoma. And they go and they explore because they're in the prime of life and they're going to spend that time with one another, blessing one another, encouraging one another, uh, eating together, having fun. The letters of recommendation for Northwest Church of Christ are going to sometimes look like uh, what's the next one? Uh, oh, like, like when the church blesses its children. You remember a couple months ago, we had just dozens of kids up on this stage praying over them and blessing them before they started school for this year. That's one of our letters of recommendation. One of our reviews looks like the Honduras team that, that every year goes down and builds houses that will change people's lives, but build relationships that will last for an eternity. That's one of our letters of recommendation. And we write that one in Spanish without even knowing how to do it, but the way we love people beyond language barriers. Our letters of recommendation look like when our kids and our teens and our adults go to camp together and they spend time in God's creation and they spend time studying the Bible and they spend time uh, worshiping God and dwelling in his midst and with one another, being transformed in ever-increasing measure into the glory of Jesus so the world can see. One of our letters of recommendation is when our families go together to pack boxes of food at Kaleo. And we pack hundreds of packages of, uh, of food and snacks and items that will go to kids at schools with it that don't have much food so that when they come home, they won't be hungry for that couple of days. And we distribute those to schools here in Oklahoma City. Our letters of recommendation are written not on ink, but by what the Spirit is putting on your heart and you reveal to a world that doesn't have, see a veil anymore. But in your face, in your life, in your words, your hands see the glory of God being ever increasingly revealed in you and through you. This is what God's up to at Northwest. 
These are our letters of recommendation. So when a church reveals Christ to the world in this way, you know that that's a church that has dwelled on Christ and worshiped Christ because they're starting to look like Christ. You know that it's a church that has the Spirit living in us and working in us. You know that we're a church that has taken off the veils and is letting the world see the glory of God echoing and reflecting on our faces as his letters of recommendation, letting them know God's up to something here. God's doing something with these people and in this place. And if you want to see what Jesus looks like, go hang out with those people because that's who Jesus is. That's who Jesus is working through. And so our job description as his people is nothing short of being the image of Jesus Christ to a world that needs to see him. So if you're here today and you're ready to take on uh, the image of Jesus, the Bible tells us that the way you get clothed in Christ so that you start looking like him is to be baptized into Jesus. And if you'd like to do that today or respond to anything else, please come forward this morning as we stand and sing. Create.